0: The very nature of politics is that many people who go into it clearly are risk-averse and therefore promoting new technology, promoting new ways of thinking, thinking outside of the box, trying to create innovation. People don't feel comfortable, that it concerns them because they can't, they haven't got a reference points to go to. So lots of the questions I get is, well, show me where it's being done. My answer is, well, we're going to show everybody else how to do it.
1: Welcome to The Freewheeling Podcast, the place for free thinking ideas in transport and mobility. My name is Thomas Abelman and each week I'll bring you fresh voices, new ideas and unconventional thinking. So let's get started now with this week's edition of The Freewheeling Podcast. My guest today is a thoroughly modern mayor. One of the vanguard of a new generation of combined authority mayors, James Palmer has made his name by thinking thoughts on transport that are, putting it mildly, distinctive and then promoting them with energy. His turf is Cambridgeshire and Peterborough and I think it's safe to say that without James Palmer no one would be talking about zooming under Cambridge City Centre in autonomous pods. Freewheeling was created to promote free-thinking ideas in transport and no one thinks freer than James Palmer. James, welcome to the Freewheeling podcast.
0: Well thank you very
1: much. Now we'll come on to transport later but first of all tell us a bit about being a one, a, a modern mayor? I, I think probably an awful lot of my listeners will think of a mayor as someone wearing a gold chain in the town square, but it's not really like that, is it?
0: Not really. No, I haven't got a three-cornered hat or a big gold chain and a red coat. Um, my job is really, I suppose, if you, in a nutshell, it's a link between central government and local government. And uh, I'm directly elected uh, and I'm able to set my own manifesto and uh, and obviously, to an extent, deliver on it. We are still, all the mayors are still chained uh, very much to central government by our funding. We don't have independent means of funding, uh, but uh, we have been able to uh, bring forward some innovative thinking. And one of the problems of uh, in in government across the country is that innovative thinking is usually stamped on. And we try very much, in Kevish and Peterborough, to try to find bespoke answers uh, to the problems for our county rather than national answers.
1: And does it get a bit difficult at times with people not understanding what the role is? Because I think, am I right in saying that if you have a a, a traditional mayor of a local council, you have Andy Burnham, you have Sadiq Khan, you have yourself, every single version of mayor is something in different places, slightly different, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. And, And mayor was probably not the best word. I mean, it's an international role, I suppose, that the mayors are well uh, uh, founded in in uh, America and in Europe, of course, as as local leaders. Whereas here, they're really civic leaders, as such, in tri- traditionally. So, um, the really the best word for us, really, I think, is a minister for for the area. So, our, our role is more akin to a ministerial role uh, than uh, than, a, than a local um, uh, fundraising civic mayor. Uh, and yes, it does take time. And I think if you look back to when the Mayor of London was formed, I would suppose it, it probably took a couple of terms before London has really grasped, okay, this, this mayor is our man. This or, or So far it has been a man, of course, uh, and, are, and here. But um, this mayor is the person who stands up for our community. And, and that's my job. My job is to uh, put Cambridgeshire and Peterborough first, argue the points for Cambridgeshire and Peterborough clearly, I'm an elected conservative, so my politics are conservative politics and linked to the Conservative Party. But if I feel that there is a policy that is coming out of central government which isn't beneficial for Cambridge here and Peterborough, I'm well within my rights as uh, as mayor to to challenge government.
1: And one thing I've noticed is that a lot of what you have done and are pushing in cambridgeshire is around the area of transport is that something mm-hmm. that you had a particular interest in before you stood for mayor or did you find that when you became mayor an awful lot of the questions had transport answers to
0: them yes i think it's both um you know i'm a cambridgeshire boy i've lived here all of my life i've run businesses here and uh, uh, and brought my family up here and uh, i know the area very very well and uh, You know, we are a county, like others, I suppose, but uh, I always say about Cambridgeshire in the east, East Anglia, um, the Labour Party never invested any money into East Anglia because everybody votes Conservative anyway, and the Tories never invested much money into Cambridgeshire and Peterborough and the rest of the area because everybody votes Conservative anyway. So the east has been long forgotten when it comes to infrastructure.
1: You're the blue wall.
0: But but the Conservative Party, you know, the government under... uh, uh, David Cameron, which is where this came from, recognised that investment into uh, the regions via uh, combined authorities and mayors could lift up uh, individual regions. And if you look at Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, we're a classic example. We've had an economy grow in Cambridge out of nothing in 40 years to become one of, the, one of the leading economies in the world, and yet 30 miles up the road, 35, 40 miles up the road we have one of the, 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 the most disadvantaged areas in the country in the Northern Fence. So that balance needs addressing, but equally whilst the economy around Cambridge has grown and the house prices have rocketed, investment into infrastructure has stagnated. Uh, and so we have a, a problem that needs solving that, that is linked to infrastructure, but is also, uh, so it is infrastructure, it is housing, it is how do we grow the economy uh, within the green agenda, within keeping it carbon neutral, how do we deliver the houses necessary without ruining the fabric of the villages and towns and the cities we already have? How do we keep the rural nature of Cambridgeshire in Peterborough, um, the thing that makes it so incredibly attractive as a county? Uh, and how do we move people around? So these these are conundrums that that need to be solved. And, and you know, you know, and that that age-old adage is. You can only have world-class public transport in cities of 500,000 plus. Uh, well, our entire population of Cambridge and Peterborough is under a million, uh, and we're about two and a half times the size of Greater London. So there's the conundrum. How do I link the north to the south? How do I create a public transport network which is better than the car, that promotes sustainable growth, carbon-neutral travel, and uh, and, and high-quality, low-cost housing?
1: and you've found the answer, um, and it well, must now dive into the, the metro. Tell me the truth. You must spend a lot of your time in meetings being told you're crazy.
0: The very nature of politics is that many people who go into it clearly are um, risk-adverse. Many people who work in it are risk-adverse, and therefore uh, promoting new technology, promoting new ways of thinking, thinking outside the box, trying to create innovation, People don't feel comfortable that it concerns them because they can't, they haven't got a reference point to go to. So, lots of the questions I get is, Well, show me where it's being done. And my answer is, Well, we're going to show everybody else how to do it. Because you've got to have a leader, you've got to have somebody who does it first. And, uh, you know, I don't don't see that as playing fast and loose. I, I, I see that as totally my responsibility to deliver public transport that works for our area. A lot of the criticism is, well, why don't you just build trams, uh, rail trams? And the problem with that is, yeah, that's okay if if your thinking is entirely city-based. But the cost of putting a tram system or a metro system, electric rail system uh, like the Tube, out into the rural, rural countryside is not only vast, it's massive. But then you, you have the problem when you have to segregate it and everything, all these other issues, etc. So, um, and the capacity uh, of public transport systems like DLR, for example, which is an autonomous system, um, is significantly higher than we would ever need. So we would not be able to get it through a benefit-cost ratio if we need to move up to 10,000 people an hour and, and, the, and the, the DLR was moving 28,000 an hour the question rightly would be, hold on, you're, you're over capacity. Why are you, build, you know, why are you providing? So we've got to think, what can we possibly do here that's safe, that's cheap to deliver, uh, relatively cheap to deliver, and is better, is so good that it, it means that people get out of their cars?
1: And talk us through the answer that you've come up with, because as we've said, there is nothing like it in the world. So what, what, describe. Walk me through what would happen. I'm a, I live in a, a small town in Cambridgeshire. Um, I want to get to maybe the, the science district of the city. Uh, at the moment, I'd probably drive to a park and ride and then get a diesel bus into the city centre. Talk me through what would happen um, when the metro area is built.
0: So the, 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 the dedicated metro line, and I'll use this for the geography freaks out there who do know a little bit of uh, about the, the geography of the area. You may or may not not know, but the route, in, in essence, goes from Haverhill to St. Neots, uh from Cambridge to Mildenhall, uh, and also up uh, taking, it uh, would eventually take over the current guided bus route that goes to St. Ives, uh, and then we would be putting it on from St. Ives through Ramsey up to Peterborough and into the Fens. So that's the, the route, in essence. Uh, a, a dedicated route, uh, completely segregated from the road, um, and, uh, and tarmac. Uh, and uh, the reason for that, as I mentioned earlier, is cost uh, and, uh, and the ease of delivering it. And all of this is available to us because of modern bat- battery technology. That's that's a simple change that's happened in the last five years or so. Um, we've had recently three innov- innovative uh, um, design um, ideas come from three different companies. I'm going to talk about the Dromos one now, which is one I think that is the most innovative and the most exciting, that each of the three companies uh, have come up with, com- with, with designs and opportunities that could be delivered uh, at a cost of two billion or less, so that the cost is significantly cheaper than upgrading road systems around Cambridge. Um, uh, the two other ones are very much similar to a, a tram, but on wheels, uh, so much more traditional kind of public transport solution. Uh, the Dromos is, a, the is a, a pod system. Uh, and it's multiple pods um, and these pods hold up to four people. Uh, the, the method that you would use to, to call these pods is you would app on your phone, you would call the pod. it would come to your station within two minutes of you calling it. You would get in uh, into that pod, uh, you and your three uh, uh, companions or just on your own and it would take you to your destination. It would not stop at another station. All the other, all the stations are offline. So the idea of a, a transport system that stops the stations individually as they go along is, um, is 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 obsolete. so the need for you to crush into uh, a, a very stuffy um, cabin uh, in the in the model of the tube or the train? Dromos moves beyond that. It, it's, it's a post-COVID transport solution, um, and uh, and of course it takes you direct to your destination and the travel times across the metro network. Uh, in Cambridge and Peterborough are are around 25 to 35 minutes maximum so it it gives you everything that your car gives you in um, safety personal space direct uh, route to where you're going plus it gives you something your car doesn't give you which is the ability to have a beer when you get there so in essence the Dromos system is very much 21st century thinking.
1: I dial up something that looks a bit like a, a sort of slightly more vertical <laughs> car. But when I get to here, yeah. I'm actually arriving at something that looks rather like a, a tube station, aren't I? I'm, I'm, un- I'm under the city centre. I'm at something with a, yeah. ki- a kind of a platform and an escalator up to the surface. It's, it's, which is completely it's, unique it, I for, mean, for this kind of idea. The,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the idea is you can't tunnel under small cities. It's too expensive. Uh, rubbish. Um, the, the reality is it's, it's not about. The size of the city, it's about the size of the economy and the ability to uh, use mechanisms such as tax incremental funding and land value capture to create finance available to deliver the system, so that's the first thing. Uh, yes, it, it could be a traditional underground, the way that we know from other cities in, in the world, uh, but again the drama system has said cleverly, okay, well we don't need to take the people down to the system, we can bring the system up to the people, loop around, go back down again and go on. The system we're looking at probably got around six miles of tunnels um, and uh, and the differential in cost between having tunnels and not is around half a billion pounds or more. So um, when you're talking about delivering a system that is uh, going to be in place, if we look at public transport, historically, uh, major systems are in place for 100 years or so or more even. Um, the cost per annum of delivering a system like this is. Uh, in comparison to our other networks, is significantly low. It's, it's it's really clever investment to deliver a direct, a, a dedicated public transport system. And
1: the um, equivalent solution, as you said, is a, a tram um, or a, a railway upgrade or a bus service. And the cities all around the world decided between those. How did you get to this solution? Because no other city trying to come up with the answers to the same challenges or similar challenges has has, has got there. How, well, talk me through. You you were elected. Um, you got this set of transport problems. How did you get to autonomous pods underneath the city, link, spiraling out into the rural areas surrounding it?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, due to due to planning mistakes, in my opinion, most of the houses that have been built around Cambridge. Um, Uh, to to feed the economy, feed the growth of the economy, have been built to the north and the west of the city. Most of the people who work in Cambridge work to the south and east of the city. Uh, So you've got an issue of getting people across the city. There's no ring road solution. Um, There's A14 and N11, which do sort of two sides of the city, but there's no ring road solution at all, or no suitable ring road solution. And again, putting in a ring road is a little bit... um, Bit 1980s in thinking, really. You know, it's it's going to be highly expensive, and it's not going to get cars off the road. It's going to encourage you more. So you, you've, my first thought is okay. How do we move people across the city? Secondly, Cambridge is one of those cities um, where everybody has an opinion. Uh, I always say this about Cambridge: everybody's got an opinion. They're all more intelligent than I am, uh, and they've all got lots of time on their hands to try and try and uh, drive a public transport system one of the most uh, beautiful cities on earth, is not something that's for the faint-hearted or for the sensible. Uh, and um, there is little option uh, uh, when it comes to getting through the area where the universities are in abundance uh, that wouldn't cause significant architectural and uh, environmental damage. Going under the city, of course, you disturb absolutely nobody as long as you go below the wine cellars at the colleges. <laughs> so your ability to get you know, people say, well, it's too expensive to go under, but the ability actually to go under, if you took out all the costs, that judicial reviews and the time to build a system that went above ground, my view, and, I, and I, I've looked into this quite a lot, and I've looked at how transport and decisions are made uh, in Cambridge on, on planning. Uh, my view is that it would be, it will still work out far cheaper to go under. Added to that. Um, I'm assured by Lord Robert May, who's chairing our uh, special purpose vehicle to deliver the metro. One can—he's uh, he, the world's leading expert on tunneling—and he's he's told me that uh, the land under Cambridge is clay and pretty much the easiest stuff to tunnel through in the world. So our ability to do it is there. Other countries would—you know—always amazes me. We seem to be frightened to death of tunneling in this country. You go into into the Alps, everywhere, you know, every every village has got a ton of, pretty much. So uh, our ability to do it is there, our, our, the need is there, um, and as I said, this isn't a public transport system for Cambridge, this isn't a tube for Cambridge, this is a public transport network for Cambridge Shear uh, that takes out the congestion problems that Cambridge suffers from uh, as part of that, but, all, you know, it's just beyond Cambridge, it's also... How do we begin to spread that gold dust of Cambridge growth north of Cambridge? When we have super companies come to to Cambridge here, AstraZeneca arrived in Cambridge some eight years ago. 3,500 highly paid people put the cost of living up exponentially. We need to be able to make sure that multiple AstraZenecas can come to the city of Cambridge, but to the county of Cambridge here and set themselves up anywhere because they know they've got the ability to A, transport their staff, B, connect to the other science parks around the area, C, connect to the university, and even D, connect to the incredible engineering heritage of Peterborough. So all of these things come into into play. So it's about keeping the Cambridge that, that many people know and love. It's about leveling up across the entire county. It's about continuing to grow the economy uh, and it's about creating solutions for housing, as I
1: said earlier. Now, I know the drummer system is only one of the options being considered, and the other two are, are yes. more like a, a conventional bus, a styled like a, sort of a bit like a tram, but more of a conventional mm-hmm. bus. But I do know I have transport planners and rail um, timetable planners who listen to the podcast, so on their behalf... Does it actually work? Can you have a situation where you can pick someone up at different stations along the route, but nevertheless give everyone a guaranteed non-stop um, trip? Because it sounds it sounds very hard to make work logistically.
0: Well, um, the uh, the Drumos people have convinced me. Whether I'm right or not, I don't know. But uh, uh, I think I think uh, I think it does work logistically, absolutely because of the size of the pods. Um, I think that. Um, you also, you're staggering the times that people arrive, of course, etc. cetera, because I think the days where everybody gets to work at nine o'clock and leaves at five are probably long behind us. So you've got that flexibility in the system. Dromos have promised me that they could have a system up and running for trial by uh, by the autumn of this year if we were to help them fund it. Um, we'll have to see what the electorate thinks of that. I'm not, by the way, I was using the Dromos system as an example. Uh, you know, it might well be that the business case looks at the three systems and doesn't doesn't deliver the Dromos system alone, or, or, or takes aspects of each one of the the three innovative innovative uh, options and goes from there. What I'm what I'm, the reason I use the Dromos one as an example is because it, it's so very much uh, free from from uh, the thinking that delivered the railway in eighteen thirty five. You know it, it just moves beyond that and all of our thinking on public transport um since the railway was invented is either the same or a version of in is a version of a, a train on a, on a road so this 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 strong system leaps forward to another another set of thinking um whether that would work in a city like london where there's 10 million people I don't know, because, the, the you know, that that would be a scaling capacity. But Tromovs has, has told me very clearly that if we were to move from the initial capacity of five to ten thousand per, per hour and we wanted to up it, we would just build extra lanes into the system.
1: And looking at the um, slightly more conventional options, they, they look a bit more like a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, you know, bus rapid transit, as it's sort of known in the industry, has been the great hope uh, for long time and it's never really worked and when you look at places, Cambridge obviously being one of them, but bus infrastructure has been built that's segregated and funnels people on a route that is separate from cars and yet they've never really fulfilled the ambitions of their initial promoters and everyone still turns to rail-based solutions if they want something meaningful and sometimes it seems to be literally because it needs to be a rail-based solution to be seen as meaningful, which almost is circular. But how do you think you can unlock that, that when, it's ne- when it hasn't worked in the past?
0: I mean, if we look at the guided bus in Cambridge the guided bus works pretty well until you get to the city. You know, in the rural areas, it works very well. There's no doubt about that. There's capacity, issues with it, you know, with buses. So you can only run, you know, maximum about 800 people an hour. So that there, there's an issue there. But once you get to the city, you're still in a bus in traffic. And so it's a partial solution. Uh, That's the biggest issue. And I think most of the thinking around buses is still mired in you have to drive buses through the centre of the city for them to be successful. Um, That might work in some cities. In a city like Cambridge, hardly anybody works in the centre of the city. So people who want to go into the centre of the city, want to use the shops or go out to restaurants, et cetera, they're not necessarily in, in rush hour times in peak times that's not where they want to go uh, and if you're thinking is we've got to go through the city to get people to their destination then you are failing because people are not going to get on the bus because it takes too long so i think a lot of the bus pro- the problems with the buses is is, is that, the, that in many cases they're so mobile they make it easier for people to do a half, a half cop solution um, uh, and I think that's exactly where we are with the guided bus. It's brilliant until you get to the city it's supposed to serve. Then when you get to the city it's supposed to serve, it's simply uh, unrealistic. And, of course, the option around that is to say, OK, well, what we'll do is we'll just make the city impossible to use for cars and we'll just bust it out, which is not something the general public want to see at all. They think, you know, they're, they're, they feel they're being hammered both ways. So they're being forced into a system that's inadequate. And they've got no choice but to use inadequacy. So I think that, um, you know, this is why the, your mind has to open itself to, to opportunities that are greater than just a, a bus system. So whatever happens to scale up uh, the system we have in Cambridgeshire with, with the guided bus to a level necessary to um, to take the car off the road. The city will be just be gridlocked with buses instead of being gridlocked with cars. It's not going to, there's not got the capacity, the road network capacity in the city just simply isn't there to allow that to happen. So you just find yourself in a perpetual problem.
1: I've got relatives who live very close to the Greater Manchester Guided Busway. And my experience is exactly what you described. It's absolutely superb when you're on the guided busway and then you spend the next hour sitting in the same traffic as the cars. Um, to get into the centre of Manchester, and ultimately, you haven't really saved that much. Yeah,
0: of course. And, and and if you're gonna, if you if you people talk about modal shift all the time, modal shift only happens if the alternative is better than the car. It's the only time. Otherwise, it just isn't going to happen.
1: Now, not content with building a transport infrastructure that's never been built before, um, you want to fund it in a way that's never been funded in a way that's never built before. So, talk me through what you want to do. And tell me why it hasn't worked before, and why it will this time.
0: My knowledge base doesn't really go elsewhere in the world greatly because I, my job is, is Cambridge chemistry and Peterborough, so that, that's where I concentrate my thinking. But when I came up with the concept for CAM, my view was okay. We're, this is going to be a platform for growth. We need to build houses in a different way in Cambridge and Peterborough because what we're doing is we're ruining villages, we're ruining towns, infield development, next field development, no infrastructure, et cetera. Et cetera. Same problems across the whole of it. So. We need to deliver garden towns. Uh, then we can deliver high-quality housing, eco housing, linked to public transport, where the public transport is in. So what Cambridge has is vast amounts, vast amounts of open space. I mean, huge farms uh, all over the place, very small villages. So the ability for us to build towns here without decimating our villages is relatively easy. I'm not saying it's relatively popular, but it's relatively easy. Um, so my view was, okay, well, let's 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 look at what land is in the in the area, um, and see how many landowners are interested in talking to us about selling their land, potentially, at a capped price, at a low price. Um, and uh, we we looked at seven sites, or we have looked at seven sites across uh, uh, East Cambridgeshire, Huntingtonshire and South Cambridgeshire. We don't need seven sites, by the way. Probably two would be enough. Um, but we looked at seven sites. We approached seven landowners and we said, look, well, here's the thing. We want to build this metro. Um, we could build it through your land. Um, if we do, would you be prepared to sell your land at 10 times agricultural rate? Um, in the current times, that's about seventy to 80,000 pounds an acre. And... Um, just to give you some indication, some land in South Cambridgeshire went two years ago for two million pounds an acre. So that's the kind of uplift we're looking. At. Um, and of those seven landowners, all seven came back and said, "Yes, we would be interested in talking to you on that basis, and we would be happy to to, uh, to, to come to the table." So that's the first thing. Th- those conversations may go nowhere at all. Those, those none of those sites may come forward. But the re- reality is that there are landowners who are willing to come to the table, and of course. Ten times the value of your assets is is pretty good, it's pretty good. You know, I, I doubt I doubt there's many people in the country who if somebody walked up and said, "I'll give you ten times the value of your house." They would not say, well, "I'll give it some considerable thought." Now, don't be wrong; it's not a hundred times, which is potential uh, uplift, of course, but it's, it's pretty good. So, if you if you our our math, our, this is not my fag packet stuff. We had a little bit more intelligent people than me looking at this we worked out on a fairly small garden village of around 5,000 homes. Uh, The uplift in the value of the land uh, over the course of development would be around 220 million pounds. So scale that up 10,000 homes, 15,000 homes, there you go. You you can do the mathematics pretty simply. All of that money currently would be lost uh, in the current system. It would be lost because you would put the infrastructure in and then have the conversations about land. Then you have a situation where landowners say, "Oh, well, hold on, we've already got the infrastructure in there. You've got to use my land." So it changes the the uh, the argument. But it, if you're building new infrastructure, it's insane to go and uh, not to go and talk to potential landowners. As I said, there are uh, potential potential sites. I'm only saying potential. None of those sites may come forward, but if they do, then we can take that capture.
1: And presumably, this only works if you have to say to the landowner relatively directly. If you sell me your land, I will give myself permission to build houses on it. But if you don't sell me your land, I won't give you permission to build houses on it. Because otherwise, the incentive, if I'm the landowner, is just to freeze onto it, wait for you to build a metro, and then realise the 100-fold uplift as opposed to the 10-fold uplift.
0: Well, absolutely. But of course, if they won't deal with me and somebody else will, I'll build the houses there. that That's sort of a simple fact. you know. So you know, getting getting planning permission for sites, large sites like that is not something that happens every day of the week you know usually these sites take years to bring forward and uh and develop etc etc you know the metro is a a project for 50 to 100 years so we've got time you know i don't need to build these things tomorrow but the people who follow me in this role their life is going to be a hell of a lot easier and their ability to raise funds privately is going to be a hell of a lot easier if there are deals done with landowners who are willing to take 10 times agricultural rate so, I think that that's you know that's very simple. And as I said, we, we were very straight with landowners. If you don't want to deal, do a deal with us. We'll
1: discuss it. And what do you think is going to happen? I mean, you, you, one of the obvious challenges I imagine you face is the government is heavily focused on, on the red wall, um, on levelling up. Cambridgeshire uh, doesn't, on the surface, look like the kind of place that meets all the criteria for where the government wants to push money at the moment. And you're going to need central government funds to make this work and you're just pushing something that's so new and so different and so unusual um what, what talk me through how you see this pay, playing out over the next next few years
0: well i've got an election to win in may uh if the general public don't want to do it then uh, then i won't have to worry nor will anybody else um so that's the first thing but i think longer term i mean there's a few things here that, that benefit us this is the, the design the whole Ethos of this is to build carbon neutral uh, transport, carbon neutral housing, all linked in together. The government have put forward a green bond scheme, which would suit this system very, very well. The government are also very, very keen to see innovation in the market. Uh, what we're suggesting is that this uh, this system, whichever one we end up with, uh, will be a game changer for cities of the size of Cambridge worldwide. So we expect this to be sold. Uh, on the proof of our concept, we expect this to be sold internationally and nationally as well. There's other cities, Milton Keynes, Oxford, for example, who are looking into this um, as well. So we, we expect that to be something for government to be able to sell. We've had interest from Canterbury and New Zealand, for example, about, about what we're doing. So that, that's that's the first thing. The Green Bond thing works with us, The the, uh, um, the opportunity to sell this worldwide. To, to usurp China, if you like. Why not? Um, those things are definitely there in, in a global UK. Um, but the other thing is, you're right, there's the red wall issue and money goes north. Uh, there's two things on that. The first thing is that Hampshire and Peterborough pays five billion net into the UK Treasury uh, per annum. And uh, we've been told if we do not put a system of, of something similar to this in, by 2030, the economy will begin to shrink and go backwards. So that cost to the UK PLC is significant. Uh, This system uh, would double the GBA of Cambridge and Peterborough, obviously then doubling the opportunity for Treasury. Um, On top of that, you know, we're not going to the government and saying, right, it's a two billion scheme, give us two billion pounds. We have built into this uh, project, tax incremental funding opportunities uh, and land value capture opportunities, which would raise between one and two billion pounds on their own. So what we really need from government is seed funding of about 10 to 20 percent. So our argument to government is, government is for 400 million quid, we can double the GBA of Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, uh, just give us the opportunity to allow us to deliver tax incremental funding and land value capture through that. And obviously that means development corporations, spatial strategies and all the things that go around big infrastructure.
1: One final question. Um, One thing that really interests me is the fact that this new generation of mayors so often focus heavily on transport, which for me running the freewheeling podcast is great. But um, if you look at Andy Burnham, he made his big announcement on buses yesterday. Andy Street's got a whole series of things that he's prioritising on transport. Boris has only got two things named after him, Boris buses and Boris bikes. And Ken was known for the congestion charge and the Oyster card. And often transport projects take a long time to realise. You know, Crossrail was set up by Ken, um, was promoted throughout by Boris, may or may not just be opened by Sadiq Khan. Why is it that this new generation of mayoralties so often end up focusing on transport, especially when transport is expensive and takes a damn long time to start?
0: Uh, because that's the powers that we have. <laughs> you know, if, if, I was, <laughs> if, if my powers were, um, you know, create a football team, then I'll probably concentrate on that, I don't know, but the powers that we have are based around transport and infrastructure. We are the transport authority. The mine authority is a transport authority. It is the job of the mayor, myself, to bring forward a transport plan. It is the job of the mayor to solve problems that are in the system. Um And yes, transport is big, is big stuff, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's Tonka toys to Lego, I suppose, whichever way you want to make it around. I, I, I don't know there's any analogy in there at all. Ultimately, if you solve the transport issues, the other things around that fall in behind. There's no doubt. Uh, my One of my favourite pictures when it comes to uh, uh, how sad I am as an individual uh, is uh, the picture of uh, London Docklands Light Railway snaking its way through Canary Wharf in 1988, Uh and there's nothing at all apart from the railway. Fast forward uh, thirty years, and, and Canary Wharf is one of the most vibrant places. Covid, Covid, <laughs> Covid. Except it's one of the most vibrant places in the capital. So, you know, this this is what good infrastructure can do. Good infrastructure transforms places.
1: I remember that extremely well because in 1988 I asked to be taken on the newly opened Docklands Light Railway as my seventh birthday treat, and I remember snaking through exactly that mud and there was just mud everywhere. We got to the Isle of, end of the Isle of Dogs, we crossed under the tunnel to Greenwich, we went to the uh, cake in a cafe and then we got back on the train and wound our way back through exactly the same mud and derelict concrete and it still amazes me to go back and look at those places and try and find any tiny hint of what I saw as a as a as a seven year old, and I can't see much of it to be Absolutely. honest with you. No,
0: now don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't really want to turn the whole of Cambridgeshire into Canary Wharf, but what it what the point of it is? That's what good infrastructure does. It allows development. Uh, uh, you know, nobody, virtually nobody drives to Canary Wharf, do they? How do you go to Canary Wharf? You go on DLR. You go on Jubilee Line, or you get the train. That that's that's it. Nobody drives it. So that's what can be proved, and that's what we've got to prove. I believe in in the county that I represent. We need to build our, our new houses based around infrastructure that goes in in advance. We need to collect the land value from that. And where we build the business, we need to get the tax incremental funding for that as well. That pays for the system and that promotes sustainable growth for the next 100 years.
1: What a fantastic place to end. James Palmer, thank you so much for joining me on the Freewheeling Podcast. It's a pleasure. Nice to speak to you. Well, that concludes the Freewheeling Podcast for this week. Thank you very much indeed to my guest, James Palmer, and thank you very much to you for listening. If you get a few minutes at some point in the next week, do jump onto the podcast place on whatever it is you listen on and rate and review the Freewheeling podcast. And I'll be back with you next week with another guest. Thank you for listening and goodbye.